Hey, you crazy bastards. Welcome to this week's episode of E-Crime Bites. And this is where I read the court documentation, then roast the criminal so you don't have to. This is season two, episode 18, and this is sim swapping and Bitcoin theft with Jordan Dave Prasad. All right. Now, this is act number two, make fat stacks, which is where I tell you how he made his money and then eventually was caught by law enforcement. If you're jumping in, there's a lot of background that I really, really recommend you go back and watch Act 1. Now, if you're on YouTube, I'll put a link up here so you can go back and hit the playlist and go back to Act 1 and view to your heart's content. If you decide you don't want to do that, let me give you a real, real quick tour of what happened in Act 1. So I brought you the criminal in this case. His name is Jordan Dave Persab. He had a background from poverty, so he grew up in tough times and um, his mother met this guy that was really into this online gaming and Jordan looked at him. He was his stepfather and the stepfather hung himself. So Jordan kind of spiraled into the online world and he also had a best friend in the online world. He died of fentanyl overdose and the best friend's brother died of fentanyl overdose same night. Spiraled further. Jordan also lost his girlfriend that he met online. Spiraled further. Now Jordan is within a group of people that have now purchased big lists of usernames and passwords of email addresses of victims out there on the internet. And they've written computer programs to go through these lists to pick out victims that have higher than normal cryptocurrency holdings. Because now, now in this act, they're going to exploit this. So now I think you're caught up. So let's go ahead and get right into this episode, which leads to some background. And I apologize. In order for you to understand this, I got to talk about sim swapping. And I realize part of our audience probably haven't heard the episodes I've done in season number one, where we start talking about sim swapping. So let me give you a real quick tour of sim swapping if you've never heard it. So imagine you have your phone, right? Everybody has a phone nowadays. This thing has either a physical card in it or nowadays it's also, uh, it can be an electronic, like a virtual card that you never see. It's just a, uh, it's kind of like a software number in your phone. This card is called a SIM card, S-I-M, and that ties your phone number to your physical phone. So what a, if you imagine if you're like T-Mobile or your Verizon or something like that, your phone company knows your phone through that SIM card. It takes that phone number, assigns it to that SIM card. That SIM card gets plugged into your physical phone. Your phone lights up with that phone number. Okay. I hope you're with me so far. So the attacker, the attacker buys just like a throwaway phone and a new SIM card. Both of these things you can get online. They're not expensive. The attacker then calls up and socially engineers or, or even easier sometimes, simply just pays off an employee at the phone company of where your phone is registered through. So say like Verizon or T-Mobile, the attacker will call them, either pretend they're you and trick them into assigning your phone number to their SIM card 
or they will just pay off an internal employee there and they'll just flip it in the computer and the same thing will happen where your phone number now will be associated with that attacker's SIM card and that attacker's phone that they bought. Now, this is where things get really sideways. Since the attacker is you on your phone, you know, your phone number from the phone company, what they will typically do is go to accounts like Instagram or your email account or other social media accounts and say, I forgot my password. And these services, some of them will text you a link to reset it. So that's one way you can take a phone like that with that's been SIM swapped and take a hold of somebody else's account is if you can get that text to come to that new phone, you can then reset the username and passwords and you then own that account. And a lot of times they only need to do that with one big account, like say your email. If they can do that with your phone and get access to your email, pretty much every other account then trust your email and you can go to all those other accounts and say, I want to reset my password. I want to reset my password. I want to reset my password. They all go to that compromised email account. The attacker then resets all your passwords and then owns all those accounts too. So you can imagine this SIM swapping is a big, big deal when it comes to um, compromising people's accounts and computer security. Now, this is what happened. That's what his crew did. They SIM swapped people's phones using that whole process that I talked about. And they did it both ways. They, they either hired insiders at phone companies or they social engineered the phone company. So they did it both ways that I explained. This allowed them to take control of their victim's phone numbers, which then gave them access to their cryptocurrency accounts and they could reset passwords. Also, one of the things I forgot to mention in the SIM swapping background is once the attacker has your phone number, a lot of times they can generate those multi-factor codes that are used to protect accounts as well. So if you're familiar with usernames and passwords of accessing your account, but then a service saying, what is your seven digit code on your application? Or, hey, I just text you a seven digit code. Can you put it in here now? That's multi-factor authentication. When they own your phone, and it's text, they have your multi-factor authentication codes as well. So that's not to say that multi-factor authentication is bad and it doesn't protect your accounts. It's just saying once attackers have your phone, they can exploit this security protection that you've put on your account as well. If they use the text messaging multi-factor, which most services do. And it's probably the most insecure version of the multi-factor out there. Okay. So once they were in the cryptocurrency accounts of their victim, I'm talking Jared and his co-conspirators. Now they would transfer the funds out into accounts they owned. And a lot of times they would launder them through mixing services and other exchanges. And if that doesn't make sense to you, I'm not going to go in depth on this, but basically with cryptocurrency there's a ledger out there kept of how this information or how this currency is traded hands through accounts and there are services out there where you can send your cryptocurrency through that kind of obfuscates that ledger for you and we talk in depth on this in season two episode seven which is the criminal's brother swipes five million dollar bitcoin back from darknet seizure because 
their whole dark net service. It was Helix, one of these mixers that uh, criminals like Jordan would use to send his cryptocurrency through in order to obfuscate where it came from. Once the loop made it in their accounts, they would then divide it out amongst the crew and they'd all be on their way and they'd go spend it, right? So let's talk about one victim real quick here. This is April 4th of 2022. There was one victim that lived in the state of Arizona. Prasad and his crew stole $28,000 of crypto from this victim using this whole scheme, this generic scheme that I brought to you. This was the victim that the government will later use to charge Jordan Prasad of his crime. So that's why I'm sort of setting the stage for you here. It's not clear how the government initially found Jordan Prasad. If I had to guess just based upon, you know, my background and just reading between the lines here, I think it might've been some blockchain analysis that probably led to the end account where they could identify an individual a lot like we've brought to you in other episodes in our prior seasons. A lot of times they'll find the end account and then law enforcement will go to that account service. So be it like uh, Coinbase and they will serve paperwork that says who owns this account. And a lot of times people will have their driver's license or whatever identifying information right in there. And that's how law enforcement will find them. I don't know that is the case here, but that was the case in other episodes that I brought you previously, and that could be the case here as well. So all said and done, how much did Jordan Prasad make off his victims? They stole, meaning him and his co-conspirators stole almost a million dollars worth of cryptocurrency. It was $950,000 worth of cryptocurrency. So almost a million dollars. His haul, Jordan Prasad's haul, was $475,000. So nearly half of what they made Jordan took home. So I would imagine he's got to be, he's got to be the head honcho of that group. If he's making half of what that group makes, uh, because all those tasks that I talked to you about earlier, where you had all those people filling all those different roles, you had to have at least, well, we knew he had at least three co-conspirators. So he's making half and his other couple co-conspirators aren't making half individually. So you can imagine he has to be the head honcho, right? So what did he spend his money on? And I just found a tiny little blip on this in the court paperwork where it just said designer clothes, luxury watches, etc. So nothing real exciting, unfortunately. I mean, that wasn't exciting to me. I, I don't know if I had a bunch of money and the last thing I'd be buying is designer watches and, and nice clothes. I'd be buying fun things like boats and cars and airplanes and taking trips and things, but that was what he chose to spend his loot on. So if we fast forward to June 5th of 2023, so this is just a couple months ago from when I recorded this, there was a guilty plea and arrest all at once. It was like he entered the court system saying, I'm guilty, punish me. So he was charged with conspiracy because as I said, he had this group and they have you know, the whole group together would pull off this crime. So uh, I, I think maybe that was the best law to charge them with was conspiracy. Maybe that was the stiffest charge that they could hit them with. Sometimes I've seen this where they have the plea almost in hand 
when everything goes down in court where it's like, hey, we're indicting them or the charges come out and we have the plea and it all gets tied up all in one day. Maybe that's what happened here. Okay. Now, this is a point where I thought was really interesting to kind of give you an understanding of what type of person Jordan might be. This is something that Jordan's lawyer wrote in one of the documents when he was trying to describe Jordan. And I'll read it for you and then I'll give you my thoughts. They say, emoting, meaning emotion, is not in the defendant's repertoire. This is what the United States probation saw. It's not a lack of remorse. To the contrary, after the defendant pled guilty and met with the United States probation, the defendant and undersigned counsel met outside the federal courthouse while awaiting our respective Ubers. The defendant was going to his hotel and the counsel writing this was going to the airport. All of a sudden, the defendant shocked the lawyer by suddenly hugging the lawyer and thanking him for caring for him like he was family. So you can imagine lawyer, this is just their job, right? And they're getting ready to go to the airport. And Jordan just turned around and just hugged him and said, I thank you so much for fighting for me. You, you've been there. It's like, you've been, you've, you fought for me and cared for me. Like I'm family. Then Jordan started to, cr to cry and explain that he ruined, meaning Jordan ruined his family's life by being selfish and his criminal actions. And the attorney says, Hey, Jordan was awkward in his embrace of me, but his emotion was real. So this is kind of why I give you the background. It's, a lot of times it's not these, it's not these real super malicious defendants out there that don't care about anybody else. We, we brought to you those defendants, but sometimes they're defendants that are just, they have difficulty with the real world and they're online and it's like this and you just, it's like Jimmy Zong and now, um, Prasad where they're just socially awkward, but they're very good at what they did criminally online. There's a sentencing hearing on October 10th of 2023. So this is, this is about a month ago from recording here. The government comes in and they say, Hey, we want 30 months of prison and three years of supervised release. And they say, Hey, this is the low end of the sentence. Okay. We also want restitution to the victims in the tune of about $950,000 what Jordan made in his crimes here. The defense steps up at the hearing and says, hey, there's no doubt he committed a severe crime here, but he has no prior record. He's never seen a jail cell before. He's just over five feet tall and not even 140 pounds. He's about to go into federal prison system where inmates of his stature could end up prey especially inmates of his stature who are young and immature, a sentence below the guideline range will most certainly scare the ever living daylights out of this defendant and impress upon him the gravity of his offense. Federal prison will not help the defendant mature. Federal prison will not provide effective correctional treatment. Federal prison is not a panacea. A very short term of prison followed by intensive community supervision will be much more effective in this case. The defendant should not be given up on at this age and stage in his life. And you remember, he's pretty young here. So I read you exactly in the documentation. And this whole time, if you weren't thinking this, this is what I was thinking. Federal pound me in the ass prison from office space. Yeah, this guy, five foot tall, 140 pounds. This is, 
I I was maybe 140 pounds in high school. So that was he's it's going to be tough for him in prison. So a few days later on October 25th of 2023, the judge comes back with sentencing and he says 30 months. So it was exactly what the government wanted. And they also said supervised release three years. Again, exactly what the government wanted. So you can imagine tiny Jordan, 140 pound Jordan, probably shit a brick at that point. Cause he's looking at over two years in federal pound me in the ass prison. Court also says you have restitution to the tune of about $950,000, which was the amount that he stole from his victims. And then they go on and they list all the victims and it's just initials. Um, let me give you a little bit of high and low. Um, I see some victims in here. I have $47,000 stolen from them. Um, there's some other victims in here in the 20 to 30,000. Oh, here's one for 60,000. One for 72,000. And then there's some lower amounts. There's some 1,600 amount. It's probably the lowest. There's another one that's about 7,000. So it's the range of victims that he has to pay back. And that's it. That's the end of our case. I hope you enjoyed it. Here's some final thoughts. One is SIM swapping continues to be a problem. That's the whole reason why I chose this case was to re-highlight SIM swapping. Simply paying off or tricking a phone company. It works for criminals. You saw it work and they made a million dollars here. So it works. This case was unique in that Jordan pled guilty before he was even arrested. It seems because it seems like he came in said, Hey, I'm willing to plead guilty. And the whole court process started at the same time. And the, the plea was there and it was done and over very, very quickly. I just thought it was interesting. 30 months. You can kind of look at it as it's a lot, you know, for someone that's 140 pounds. Yeah, that's a lot, but also 30 months, not a lot when you compare it up to some of the other sentences that we've seen in the other cases that I've brought to you in previous weeks. And I could not help this whole time. It felt like Jordan Prasad's background reminded me so much of Jimmy Zong, which was, he was a subject of our season two, episode one, where, um, he had social issues. He had weight issues and he had family issues. And it seems like uh, Jordan Prasad had the similar type of issues in here. And I think that's very common for electronic criminals that work, that work in these set of crimes that we've been bringing you. So if you haven't yet, please do give season two, episode one, episode one with Jimmy Zong a listen, because it's a, it's an incredible episode. So with that, if there's anything you liked in this episode, please like, subscribe, follow, thumbs up, whatever it is on your application that you're watching me on. I try to push this out on several different applications like Facebook, um, LinkedIn, uh, audio podcasts. I do it on YouTube. Uh, so I try to hit on a bunch of them, whatever it is, please, whatever positive thing that helps me out. It lets people see this that haven't seen this before. If you haven't been to our website, please do. I've got all our social media links across the top there. It's ecrimebytes.com. Bytes spelled the computer way. B Y is in yellow milk. T E S.com. And if you are now confused of why I say Y is in yellow milk, fuck you. 
because I gave it to you in Act 1. So if you didn't watch Act 1, you got to go back. I explained, I even gave you pictures of yellow milk of why I keep saying this. So if you're confused now of why I'm saying this, please go back to Act 1 of this episode because I explained it over again. All right. So with that, let me give you a real quick preview of next week. Next week, I'm bringing you Pandemic Fraud and Guns with Jovan E. Turner. And this is a pretty interesting case because it not only involves fraud, it involves social media accounts housing the evidence of said crimes. I'm trying not to give too much away (laughs) at this point. But also, someone fucking dies in this. Yes, you have to tune in. You have to tune in because that was an absolute plot twist for me that I found near the end of the research and I went, holy shit, did not see that coming. Maybe I did because Guns is in the title. Who knows? But please tune in next week. This is another really crazy episode that I'm going to have a lot of fun bringing to you. So hope to see you then. All right. Thanks. Bye.